This is episode number two with Fatima Momin. Somebody choked me. Somebody attempted to rip my hijab off my head and as a result, choked me. I turn around in tears, gasping for air, to only come face to face with a girl I never met before. My journey to feeling and being almost like an outcast. I, I've always been an outcast my whole life, and so that almost validated it. I remember walking out of the doctor's office, and he was like, Take off your hijab. You are not wearing that hijab. I'm not going to lose my daughter to a hijab, to a headscarf. I will not. And that was, that was it. Welcome to Claiming Your Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Franny Nicole. When we are born, we're not told about the struggles that life will present and how it will affect us within. Over time, we begin dealing with the frustration, the loss, the huge obstacles and roadblocks that life inevitably puts in our way. And for some, this is a breaking point. And for others, this is where they thrive. Each week, we'll bring you the breakdowns and breakthrough stories from some of the most influential people in their fields. It is these stories of redemption we hope will resonate, creating a space for that is powerful, productive, and life-changing. Because when it all comes down to it, all you have to do is claim your truth. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Franny Nicole, and this week's mantra is I am powerful. By chanting I am powerful, you are defining your ability to control any situation. You recognize that you are in control of your reality and are able to see that your gifts and abilities to fuel your internal power. Your absolute happiness lies in your power to choose positivity. Notice how the mantra I am powerful makes you feel. As you repeat it, envision the ways that you are powerful. Use this morning mantra when you need to bring your A-game before a meeting, a job, an interview, presentation, or even an exam. This is the perfect mantra for when you need to tap into your strength, your power, and your confidence. Remember to always declare your mantras powerfully. Believe yourself when you say them. Trust that with time, your self-thoughts will no longer hurt you, but will instead inspire you. We have the beautiful Fatima Momen on today's episode. She will be sharing the journey through her youth being raised Muslim and how it shaped her to be the woman she is today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad you decided to come and sit down and have this conversation with me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to what we're going to be discussing tonight. Well, to start off, to give the audience a little bit of a background to get to know who you are, let's play a little bit of 20 questions. Let's start with where are you from? I am from Rabat. It is the capital city of Morocco. Do you know where Morocco is? It's in the Middle East. Close. (laughs) Close. (laughs) Hopefully this is a common error. (laughs) It is. It is. I look Middle Eastern, so people automatically think it's Middle Eastern, but it is in North Africa, so I'm African. Oh, oh, wow. North African. Well, you're absolutely stunning. Thank Um, you. When did you move to the States? I moved to the United States in 1997. So how old were you then? Since I was five years old at the time. 
time when I moved to the United States and my family basically came straight from Morocco to New York. We did a quick little trip in New York, but ultimately we were looking to get housed in Colorado. So I lived 21 years of my life in Denver, Colorado. Oh wow, I've never even been, but I know it's absolutely beautiful there. It is so beautiful. I love it out there. I love Los Angeles more. <laughs> Growing up in Colorado, do you find that there was not a lot of diversity? Yes, 100%. And how was that for you with it with school and growing up being Muslim in more of a white community? I would say that it was definitely different in the beginning because when my family moved to a certain area within Denver, Lakewood area, they had put us into, it was mostly a Hispanic school in the beginning. It was my elementary school, second, third, fourth, and fifth. And then my dad decided that he wanted us to advance and he was always looking for further opportunities. He wanted us to be able to get really well educated and so he decided to move the location. So we ended up going to nearby school and that's where my dad enrolled us for elementary school, middle school, and high school. And so those areas that he enrolled us in were primarily Caucasian. Okay. So growing up in that as a kid you don't see any difference in color you know so it never was odd for me I think as well, I you're taught older. to see colors different um, people differently and you don't see them originally that way correct yeah growing up and going to school with my peers they are a different color than me that was never an issue they were just other kids and you know we had a good time we played and we were able to be good friends and so I never looked at color skin color that was never an issue or who you are raised as whether you were Christian or not when did you start noticing the separation because of being Muslim in the school in, in school age I would say that I started that became more prevalent when I reached puberty so as a Muslim woman in specific households because not all households are like this you would basically as soon as you would hit puberty that would be almost the age that you're a, a woman quote-unquote and based off of that you start wearing a hijab on your head and for those that may not be familiar with hijab it's basically a headscarf that goes around your head and basically that would begin after you hit puberty and wow I didn't I was unaware of that I thought you just wore it no yeah there's an age and so for me it was at the age of 12 so <laughs> I right as soon as I got out of sixth grade it was summertime I had hit puberty that <laughs> summer because <laughs> I remember that I had to start wearing my hijab and so my parents they were very I would say very strategic in the way of how I started wearing hijab because I originally I didn't think it was I needed to but what had happened was my parents, because they wanted to make sure that they enforced things, but more in a positive light, they kind of played a little game with me. And it was more of the lines of, oh, we bet you won't do this. And as a little rebel growing up, I was like, oh, I bet I can. And so that was oh. kind of my way of getting into wearing a hijab. But um, I, I wore it for about, I want to say, a year and a half to two years. And then is that the point where you started noticing people treating you differently? Yeah, I noticed the differences prior to that. You know, going to school and being a part of just, you know, my elementary school experiences, I never noticed much. But when I would go out with my mom, that is when I would notice the differences, how people would look. I actually remember as a little kid, I would say around five or six when we first moved to the United States, my mom would be wearing a hijab and she would be very, you know, dressed fully from head to toe. 
and or from neck to toe and so I would step away from her because I did not want to be associated with that because I felt like that what she was wearing was different so you were embarrassed or ashamed is I would say both a little bit of both and so thinking about it as an adult it breaks my heart because you're five six years old you don't know any different besides people are looking at you yeah but at the same time even throughout my I would say my teenage years that carried on and so that was always a part of my identity being ashamed of who I was growing up as a I wouldn't even say as a Moroccan, more of as just growing up as a Muslim American. Mm -hmm. Um, And Moroccan, that's a whole different story. (laughs) You know, within the Arab culture, Moroccans are kind of like the, they don't look at us as an Arabic country. And then Africans don't really think of us as Africans because of how light our skin is. So we're kind of like the outcasts of the outcasts. So the gypsies of... Almost. Minus the witchcraft. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, it's good that you're now recognizing that you were that way and now you're not. Yeah. And you didn't resent your parents for, they didn't make you wear it, but just having given you that option and what came about from it. I would definitely say that it was in their mind, they wanted me to wear it. In their mind, that was what they were raised to believe that once you reach a certain age, that's what you do. And so for every family, it was very different. But in my household, my dad coming and my mom both coming to the United States at the age of, I want to say around 40, they were already... They were fully assimilated into the Moroccan culture, the Moroccan traditions, Moroccan everything, you know, and that part of that culture consists of being well versed in the religion and prominent religion in Morocco is Islam. And we have we have Christians and Jews, but you're looking at being a Muslim. You're growing up, being raised, being born into Islam. And so that's all they knew their whole life. So you can't be mad at anybody for that, right? Because yeah. that's all their parents raised them to be as. And that's what everybody else around them is. Once you started wearing the hijab to school and you're around your normal friends, what reactions were you getting from them or from ones that you weren't friends with? There was honestly a lot of curiosity. Kids are curious they want to know what that is on your head why you're wearing it do you have hair <laughs> i got that a lot <laughs> they're like can we look under <laughs> do you have a hair under there a lot of it consisted of of just curiosity and i feel that through the curiousness through kids being the age that they are you face some adversity because you're unable to relate to these kids or they're unable to relate to you. I was fortunate that my family always raised me to be kind and I was able to carry that with me and always be respectful in how I answered or how I responded. But that didn't mean that when people would talk to me a certain way, that that didn't affect me or that it didn't hurt me. And I had, you know, a variety of different experiences in my childhood and in my teen years that and I feel like I had a variety of different experiences during the time where I wore my hijab now one of the things I feel like played a big factor was that I was wearing a hijab in the 21st century post September 11th and at that time Islam was no longer a hidden or unknown religion people were well aware of it but 
the difference is people were aware of it. It had a negative connotation. So these kids are going to listen to the news or they're going to listen to their friends and they're going to take whatever they got from their experience because I bet you anything, anybody listening to this that was around the time of 9-11 remembers exactly where they were at that very moment. I remember. Yeah. What were you doing? I w- my mom watches uh, Good Morning America every single morning and I, my mom's from New York City and she was just standing in front of, I always get super emotional when I talk about she's just standing in front of the TV crying and I, it's like 6.30 in the morning so it was like 9.30 New York time and I'm like, mom, I was a sophomore in high school, I'm like what is happening and she's just speechless yeah. and I didn't understand. I, this doesn't happen here. This yeah. isn't what's happening and it's an emotional feeling to go, like when you when you read, when you have history in school, World War One, World War Two, the Holocaust, and I had a lot of family who died in Poland. Thinking back about it, it's emotional, but to be in the moment of history is terrifying. And I can see why some people may be deceived in the understanding of the religion as a whole because of those attacks. And they're just naive to be like, oh, everyone is a terrorist. Exactly. Those those two people or tribe, whatever it is, now that's everybody. Anybody that is Muslim, that practices Islam, is automatically associated with that. And that's what happened. I, I remember my experience on 9-11. I was in third grade. I was just about to go to school. And my neighbor was like, go back inside and go turn on TV. Because everybody that's what everybody was doing at that time, right? Yeah. And it was just the saddest thing and we didn't go to school that day but bringing it you know forward to my middle school experience these kids knew about that they also witnessed it around the same time that i witnessed it and they had things to say about it i was the daughter of saddam hussein and i was the the niece of osama bin laden and i was a terrorist and all of these very hurtful hurtful things you know go back to your land this, you know, just all kinds of very and mean these are, things. This is years later. Yeah, this is years later. Not, it, it's not like a decade later, but you know, it's a few years later. I would say four, four and a half, five years later, and I'm in middle school. Like we're just teenagers for crying out loud, barely like, teenagers. Yeah, yeah. And having to go through that, I had a, a tough time with it. I didn't want to be associated with terrorism. I didn't want to be associated with, especially the men that killed innocent people hundreds of innocent people i don't want to be associated with that and quite frankly i didn't know any difference because i was raised in colorado you're american i I I was americanized why does there have to be any difference and how did that make you feel what was your reaction when they would be calling you those names a lot of the time i tried my best to play it off i remember laughing it off or saying just brushing it off I wouldn't really have an actual response and I was scared. I didn't know how to react. I didn't want to get in trouble. You know, if I got in trouble and I went home, then I'm in trouble with my parents and that's the worst thing you can do is be in trouble with your parents. So for me, it was keeping my mouth shut. It was shrugging people off and it was just keeping it all inside, which honestly was hurting me way more than being called these names because I had nowhere to go, to no one to talk to, no one to externalize or be able to share what I was going through because I thought what I was going through was I would get in trouble for it. For being you. Exactly. Yeah. It, growing up, I remember the saying, um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words 
hurt. Yeah, they do. They're traumatizing. You carry them for years, as I'm sure you have carried this memory of being bullied because of your religion. And I remember saying that too, like with my girlfriends, you know, sticks and stones may break my... That's a lie. Like that is a lie. And it it kind of devalues words. But words are so powerful. Extremely powerful. And the words that are given to you at specific ages, either that you give yourself your loved ones give to you, your close friends, even public. When you're at that age, you internalize it. That becomes magnified by so much. And that becomes, you know, you start think, identifying yourself as that. So, you know, I had an a actual experience in particular that I would love to share with you. Please and do. I wrote about it in my blog. I'm going to just read the first part of it. So here we go. I couldn't believe what had happened. It was just another ordinary day as I stood in line at the cafeteria. I was in middle school, seventh grade to be exact, eager to get my lunch and join my friends, Rachel, Jessica, and Jawad. I stood a few students away from grabbing my lunch tray when all of a sudden my head is yanked so hard from behind I could feel myself choking from the pin of my hijab. Somebody choked me. Somebody attempted to rip my hijab off my head and as a result, choked me. I turn around in tears, gasping for air, to only come face to face with a girl I never met before. I get emotional reading this story. I see my brother running my way as I prepare to go into defense mode. You're doing great and it's (laughs) so powerful and sad. Still shook and confused from what happened. All I could get myself to do is roll up my sleeves to throw a punch at her. He holds me back, and in a stern yet calm voice, he says, Don't do it. You don't want to get into trouble. It's not worth it. Raging with anger, I squirm and do my best to resist. He didn't understand. No one understood. I'm the only girl in the entire middle school wearing a headscarf four years post the September 11th tragedy. I'm an automatic target in a school of over 400 students to be called a terrorist, the daughter of Saddam Hussein, Denise of Osama bin Laden. I didn't realize what the term was back then. I hadn't realized that I was being discriminated against and that in this day and age, it would be attributed as a hate crime. My brother and I decided to keep what happened a secret. We thought we'd get into trouble by our parents or any adult for that matter. I kept the fear, the anger, the resentment in for no one to see. I bottled it away for months. And for months, I starved myself, I felt alone, I fell into depression, and the only person I was hurting was myself. Living two lives as a Muslim American was not easy. Different cultures, traditions, religions played a big role in my upbringing. And let's not forget the fact that I'm a first-generation Moroccan-American girl living as a low-class citizen in, in urban Colorado. It felt as if I was born into the lowest pit of the human pyramid. Well, that was beautifully written, and I'm speechless. I don't know what child in their right mind would have the audacity to do something like that and have so much hate in their heart to come up to someone they don't even know or even someone they do know and put that type of energy and force onto someone. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Looking back at that experience and after I wrote my blog, I think about just the other person. I 
don't know who she is, you know? And all I remember was the situation and how it happened and how it made me feel and the aftermath of all of that experience. But I always wonder what would happen if I was face to face with her. You know, in my heart, I believe in forgiveness. And how would we go about that? We were both young. So there's a lot that comes up with that because in a way, part of that experience has shaped me because from that, I knew I would never be that girl to bully others. And if I did hurt someone, I would make sure that I corrected it. And I feel that that's so important, so important to be kind nowadays, especially, especially in a social digital age. I agree. Where cyberbullying is so constant and the number, the rate of people that hurt themselves, that commit suicide, the kids, the mean things they say, that was without social media. Nowadays, it's so... It's heartbreaking. It's so Some sad. Some of the things that you read. Yeah. Do you know her name? I don't. I'm curious. I know we all, you know, go through or, you know, breakdowns and breakthroughs. If this moment was something she had to work through for herself later on to forgive herself, like to maybe... Do you know what I, where I'm going? Like when you're you're the perpetrator, you're not the victim, and you have to work through it because you can't forgive yourself. You couldn't believe that you actually could do something like that, and you're holding. Yes, she wasn't the one that was hurting, but I wonder where she is, and if she even remembers if it traumatized her for her own actions, and if she regrets it. I'm curious, like how she was able to live with it. Yeah. And if she was able to let like forgive herself and apologize to you without, you know, kind of having that closure. Yeah. I would I want to know certainly, her, I want to find out her name. Yeah. I would certainly <laughs> love to hear if what she did even had an impact on her and That's if it what did I mean. what the result of that was. Did she like you said forgive herself? Did she make an attempt to reach out? Whatever the case was, how did she go about it? I'm so unsure. At that time, I was in seventh grade. She was in eighth grade. And Would you be able to go to the city library and find the yearbook from that year? And I'm just going to be complete investigator right now at this very moment, not saying I'm going to actually do it. But have you ever thought about maybe reaching out to her as a form of closure and kind of making that call and letting her know how much she affected you? That's so interesting you say that. I have my <laughs> I have my seventh grade yearbook. It's not here with me. It's back in Colorado. But that is something I can do. I can go on there. I can find who she is, look her up on Facebook. I'm no sure pressure. she's on Facebook. <laughs> and but I it's to be able to come not face to face, but also just close to that person I, I that like makes me like that actually makes my palms really sweaty thinking about it it really does well, we like could, I've never I could find out her someone. name and just send her this episode <laughs> and she's like this sounds very familiar oh boy <laughs> that would be so interesting it actually you know through this who knows so based off of what I had gone through would it be the same if for example, you know, for me, I forgave her. For me, it was, I'm, I'm way past that. I was able to go through that process. And then there were several other processes I had to go through into my adult years. Uh, it still plays a big role, but I was able to kind of free myself Let from that go. experience. Mm -hmm. I just don't know, does that happen on the other side? You know, for the person that did do the bullying, how do they, they go through that? If they come to terms and are accepting it might be really hard. 
I know that if that was me, I would I don't know if I could forgive myself. It would be really hard to I don't want to say love myself, not love myself, but just think of myself highly, think highly of myself. Um, if she doesn't care and doesn't think she did anything wrong, then there's no getting through someone like that. Yeah. If they don't like what I didn't remember doing anything like that. But some people hold it in and, and think about it and they wake up and it's 20 years later and they still it still haunts them. And it could be something that could have been minor or major and it's haunting. Yeah. The little ripple that she caused in your life created this aftermath of who you are. Absolutely. And that's why it's so, so important for young people especially to really just reevaluate the things that they say and practice kindness, practice love, practice the things that make you feel good. You know, why put yourself in a position where you're going to hurt somebody? Like at the end of the day, does that make you feel good? Does it really does it make you feel good? You? Like how yeah. does this benefit her so, or anyone? Yeah, it, it doesn't. And scientists and therapists state that it could be their living situations. It could be that they're also getting bold. It could be so many different things. So there is something deeper However, if we were to practice kindness, if we did have different ways of going about bullying at schools, like counselors had seminars or workshops for kids that went through it, or you're able to talk to somebody, I think that would have helped me tremendously. Just having somebody to talk to and being able to go to something for resources. Let me tell you, now that I'm an adult, I feel like I know exactly where to go to whenever I need anything. Google, Google. <laughs> Google is like, you know, like I'll go on there. I'll research the heck out of whatever I need. I've had, you know, some pretty big experiences in my life. And I've always known how to go about it because as an adult, I am so independent. I know how to access those resources. I know where to go to. I know who to contact. But as a kid, you just don't. You don't know where to go. And that's why a lot of kids choose suicide because they can't go to their parents. They won't listen or they think they won't listen. And it's sad when there are sixth graders, seventh graders who are attempting suicide or killing themselves because of these words from people. And most bullying start at home. So if someone's a bully, it's because their father's abusive or something's happening in their home life to create that reaction in them to bully someone else. Not every time, but there's always a source of abuse in the home onto them. So they take it out on someone else. Yeah. That aggression that goes to the only place you can let it out when you're a kid. School. And sometimes you don't even realize you're doing it when you're that young. And then you look back. That's why I want to know what she thinks now. Because when you're that young, you don't see the big picture. You just see that moment that day. And I'm curious if it affected her at all. Not just because it was so traumatic for you, but just curious, like, if she's a human being. (laughs) Yeah. You know, because some people don't care. And I'm just curious if she was able to realize what she did was wrong and that it was not okay. I pray that that is, you know, in my heart, I tell myself that she is aware of what she did wrong. She has forgiven herself and you know, moves on from everything that she did because to hold on to something like that, it's not a good feeling to be able to go through that. And so if she is out there and, you know, listens to this podcast and has like, I would love to hear from her and just see how she's doing, but just as a, as a way to kind of go past it. 
be adults about it and grow from there. Absolutely. And hopefully this spreads the message to other families and people who just need to talk about their experiences and be able to confront the situation, be able to go towards that situation and either confront their bully or vice versa, their bully go out of their way to be able to talk to the victim and apologize. And I feel like that that really does change a lot. It would make a huge impact on the world if people were to do that. Yeah. We'd be living in a completely different space. Yeah. Love, peace, freedom. Speaking of which, <laughs> I know you gave me a challenge two weeks ago. I did. To walk in a day in your shoes. And you challenged me to wear hijab. 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 Yep. <laughs> and it was very interesting to say the least because i'm very self-conscious how i look all the time i have the jewish nose i have you know things that i already don't like about my face so i try not to attract too much attention to me so that day was just look at me look at me look at me all day that's not the purpose of why i wore it but just it was a little sad to see reactions of people judging me without knowing me it's just I could have just been with somebody who's wearing a headscarf. You don't know me. I work in Torrance, so I walked around the Delamo Mall. And it's a lot of Asian communities and Caucasian. And people would look at me and then look at me again. Like, they couldn't believe. Like, they did the double look. Like, what? why is she here? Like, this is not an area where this is me assuming what they're thinking. This is certain areas in Los Angeles are where you cultivate. Like, a lot of culture, are, different communities have different race. And they were just surprised to see someone with a hijab on at that specific mall. And I went and I had lunch and it was really uncomfortable but humbling at the same time because just like, wow, this is what you dealt with. This is what people deal with every single day. And like the looks, it was just kind of like, really? Like, you don't know me. And it is frustrating because I just literally, it brought up anger, to be honest with you, because it's just, I'm a human being. You're a human being. We are all human beings. And what is me wearing a headscarf? You instantly hate me. It's 2019. You hate me and you don't know me. And I have the the look where I can pass for any race depending on what I wear. You know, so I could have passed, you know, for a Middle East. I live in Westwood and everyone little Persia. Everyone thinks I'm Middle Eastern here and that's fine. I take it on as uh, with pride. Yeah. You know, oh, are you Persian? No, but thank you. Like I get that all the time. <laughs> Ew, no. You know, I accept any race that people want to guess that I am because, because that means I'm multicultural. <laughs> and... It was sad to see that it's 2019 and people are still giving these looks like of disgusts. Yeah. And it could have been just because I was in Torrance. And Torrance, I'm not talking bad about it, but it, it's not as diverse as, you know, downtown LA. And LA is, it's more secluded and they just, I had a lot of eyes on me. And I'd probably wore it for like two or three hours before. Yeah. And I was at my desk at work. And everybody kept stopping by my office. Really? Had my How door open. That? And they're like, whoa, what's going on in here? And I'm like, oh, I'm just trying this out for the day. And literally people who don't normally talk to me were stopping by my office. And my office is like 15 people. So it's not this huge <laughs> corporation. But um, I told my coworker, I'm like, can you take a picture of me? And he's like, no, you actually have to. I want You need to go out there. 
because originally I was just going to wear it in my office. And he's like, no, this, this you were challenged. I'm not going to take a picture of you. You need to get out there and experience this. I'm not going to just take a picture of you That's so you can say awesome. that you did it. Yeah. And I mean, I was going to go out there, but he like stood for the purpose of why I was doing this. And I was, okay. And he also told me a story of he was manager at Chick-fil-A in Atlanta. So imagine living in Atlanta wearing hijab. And he, the girl walked up to him and ordered food. And he was completely kind to her as if she was a, she was a normal person. And she ordered her food and came back up and said, you are the only person today that was willing to speak to me and showed me the kindness that you did. Wow. And he's like, you're a customer. <laughs> What else am I supposed to treat you? And he was just so, and she was doing an experiment for her school. So she was, just did exactly what I just did. Wow. And she couldn't believe it. It's also Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. So, which I've never been to. So I say that like if I know <laughs> what it's like to be there. But he was in shock. He was just like, wow, I'm treating you like I would treat anyone else. And it's just People don't understand why the judgment, the instant reaction of hate, and they're doing experiments on it. It's you go in on the subway in New York City, try wearing one and get the reaction. I would be really nervous, to be <laughs> honest. Like, I know people do it day to day. That's like obviously a normal thing, but I would be really nervous on a subway cram packed in new york but what's great is new york and los angeles or california most of it is liberal very open-minded people compared to other states it is and so for example try that experiment in oklahoma or kansas or mississippi or some of those states what would your experience be like then what would that feel like then and granted there's such wonderful people out there but you know some people are still puzzled. Some people question. A lot of it is ignorance. And I say that because when you're not familiar with something, when you're unaware or you're raised in a group of or a tribe or a community, that's all you're, you know. That's all you're aware of. And when you don't ask the questions and you just make assumptions or you just create your own stories or you hear from others and you take exactly, for example, what's on the news and rather than ask questions, you just take it on as the truth, then I, I feel those are ignorant decisions and they require further questions. Go out and explore. Get to know other communities. Go to research. Research. Oh my gosh. Yes. Research, research, research. My thing, and I, I love that I was able to experience this because as I got older, I went to a temple I went to a synagogue. I've been to a, a Buddhist temple, a Jewish synagogue. I've been to a mosque. I went to church. And I continue to go to these because they're all beautiful buildings and spiritual places for people to practice what they believe in. And they're all beautiful. There's no right or wrong in my eyes, I believe. I believe that we're human. That's it. In my eyes, no race, color, nothing of that nature. It's human as we all should think that way and hopefully soon the butterfly effect of it will start to go around the communities for them to be raising their children this way yeah and i really think these times are changing so much they are you know with media as there's the negative side of media but then there's the upside of media and i feel like with this new generation they are using media to voice themselves. And a huge part of that is being able to just like, you know, the Black Lives Matter and 
the Me Too movement, people speak out. People speak up about their experiences and they're able to portray what is actually happening and in come together as a tribe yeah. and not defend each other but support each other advocate for each other advocating is so important and you know once you step away from that who you were born or how you you were brought up in this world step away from that for just a minute and just see the world as is with every human being as one another if you step away from that and just see your neighbor as a neighbor and you just spread love and kindness and advocate for what you believe in your heart is good then i feel like you you live in a i would say in in a perfect world Mm -hmm. and people can tell me left and right that i live in la la land which i do i and it makes even more sense well you're optimistic you want to believe that there's a possibility of a world being that way i mean why do you have to live in a negative world? Like, yeah. Why does it have to be this way? If it can be this way, then it can be a better way. 100%. Yeah. I love my, my La La Land. I, I love, love my it. La, I live in La La Land too. <laughs> Trust me. Queen yeah. of La La Land. Yeah. yeah. I'll join you. <laughs> yeah, I have a guest. Just kidding. <laughs> the challenge for me was eye-opening, going back to that, because being, you know, biracial, you know, I'm German, I'm Polish, I'm Jewish, I'm Mexican, Spanish. I have so many different backgrounds that when I was with my white friends, I looked white. When I was with the Mexican friends, I looked Mexican. And when I was with whoever, I looked like that. So I never truly felt the same bullying that you did for race, because I just adapted so well to each culture. I just adapted well to every environment to look like one of them. And I didn't stand out. I didn't stand out enough mixed for in them. with the crowds. Yeah, I was definitely mixed in. Yeah. And now I would rather stand out. Yeah. There's so something powerful about that. So hopefully I stand out that. now. Yeah. But let me tell you what will make you stand out. I could tell you a few different things. But I definitely had that experience in middle school. I was the only one in that entire school that not only was Moroccan, but also Moroccan wearing hijab. So that in itself was my experience of my my journey to feeling and being almost like an outcast. I, I've always been an outcast my whole life. And so that almost validated it. And you only wore it for two years? I wore it for under two years. And how did you decide not to wear it anymore? So shortly after what I had experienced, I had started starving myself and I lost a lot of weight. So you were anorexic? I went anorexic. Yes. And because of that experience, my family is really concerned and my dad decided to take me to the doctor. And when I went into the doctor, the doctor just shared with my dad, she's depressed and she's like on PTSD. the verge. Yeah. And I was on the verge of anorexia. I had lost, I want to say 25 pounds in, a, in almost about, I want to say a month, about a month's time. I lost oh that much God. weight. Yeah. And when that happened, I remember walking out of the doctor's office and my dad was like, take it off. And I looked at him very confused, like, okay, what? And he was like, take off your hijab. You are not wearing that hijab. I'm not going to lose my daughter to a hijab, to a headscarf. I will not. And that was it. That was the end of that experience. But it was also the beginning of something new for me. I love your dad. First and foremost, (laughs) he's awesome. That is so powerful for him to choose you over the religion. Yeah. And not, I know a lot of families who choose religion before their children. And that was huge. 
And a huge statement for your bond. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like saved me in a way. It created problems and issues in the other community because now I was different in that community. But for the community that I spent the most time in, in school, that really, really changed everything for me. And I'm very appreciative of that. I, I still remember the day I took it off, how I just felt uncomfortable to walk out of the car. And I was like, I felt naked, literally. When you wear that thing every single day. And honestly, I think hijabs are so beautiful. I, I agree. I, when I see women wearing them, my mom still wears one. And I, I think they're so beautiful. And even though I don't wear one, I advocate for my sisters. I advocate for Muslim women and I care for them so much. And I, for the people that decide later on in their years, they want to take it off. Or for the women that decide to put it on later in the years, I think that whatever you decide, it is beautiful. You do you, boo. Like, that is all I believe in. I believe <laughs> and in as you it do should you. Be. Exactly. Why does it have to bother someone else what you're doing? Yeah. Sometimes other people feel like they need to add their unneeded opinion onto you. Really, it's unneeded. And that opened a lot of doors. And God, there's so many stories I want to share with you. But I know we're going to be sure. Of course. And we can definitely um, talk about that as well. What are you doing now? Where you moved from Colorado, Los Angeles. And who are you today? Oh boy, I am an authentic, I'm a confident, I'm a powerful woman. <laughs> I moved to California less than a year ago. And in that journey, that journey was solely for the purpose of stepping into the new me. And what that means is I felt like I was in a shell my whole life in Colorado and I couldn't be who I truly am. And I didn't even know what that even meant, but in me, I had a feeling like I knew there was another part of me that I wanted to just unleash, right? So coming out to LA, that was that first step. I decided, I was like, all right, in order for me to become the person I want to become, I get to remove myself from that environment and into a new environment. Get uncomfortable. Exactly. And being uncomfortable, but also just the whole shift in environment, I felt like would change me. And I got it from a quote, which I absolutely love. So upon moving out here to California, I had to start from scratch. I had no friends. I don't have family out here. I didn't have a job. I came out here jobless and it was from ground zero. So that was kind of, you know, getting into that journey. And it's been an amazing, amazing journey full of ups and downs. I don't regret any of them. Now, where I am today, today I support a few organizations, which I love so much. I'm happy I'm finally honing in on the things that I'm super passionate about. One of my passions is women's rights, women empowerment, and I focus on younger women. So for me, it's the generation that is growing, the generation that is coming um, into adulthood are the generation that I want to advocate for them and I want to help empower them because if they know that they are confident and or they build confidence they build the fearlessness factor they build the strength the stamina the dedication those incredible traits are so so important at that age because that will shape how you are as an adult it will shape the things you do as an adult it will ensure that you know you don't let someone else mistreat you, abuse you, that you will stand up for yourself when you find out that you were earning less than your counterpart who is either the same or opposite sex of you. You will stand up for 
for your loved ones. Whatever the case is, I feel like it's so important to focus on the youth. And I have a huge project that I'm working on, which I will share in the future, in the near future. But it is around that. It really is. And my vision for the world is to make an impact on over 2 million young women's lives. And so I've started that journey and I'm so excited. I love mentoring my girls at Girls Today Women Tomorrow. Shout out to them. And I also support an incredible organization uh, named Unleash. Basically, we are a self-development brand with an emphasis on social impact and collaboration. And I love, love, love this organization and what it's all about. And that was, you know, the campaign that basically helped bring up my experience of bullying and bring that story back up to the surface so I could heal from that. So Unleash was able to give me that opportunity And then last but not least, I'm also a part of a a women founders network. So just a bunch of incredible things and looking to do more incredible things. But I know my purpose here is to make an impact. Well, I support everything that you do and definitely number one fan over here. Thank you. And I'm so (laughs) grateful to have met you through Unleash that day and just our past crossed which is amazing. The universe works in mysterious ways. And so I mysterious. Felt and like amazing. we were meant to be to meet that day. Yeah. Talking about being bullied, labels, and just go from there and building the relationship we have now. Yeah. Yeah. And only to continue to grow. So I'm looking forward yeah. to it and seeing your podcast continue to grow. Thank you. So going back to claiming your truth and everything that you've went through, what would you say is your breakthrough and what is your statement of who you are claiming your truth and who you really are outside of all the labels that have been put on you throughout your life. So if I were to take a step back and talk to my 15 year old self, what I would tell her, the first thing is I would have her close her eyes and envision the following. Imagine, and I'll, I'll ask you this, if you could close your eyes and imagine that you are the only human sitting on this earth at this very moment there is no one else around you there's only the beautiful trees there's nature but there's not one ounce of human around you you are by yourself if that was the case right now what would you be doing at this very moment me what you're asking me sure you can Uh, answer (laughs) (laughs) that is a good question i mean it would be endless opportunities uh, endless possibilities i mean I would have so many things I would want to do. I wouldn't be able to narrow it down or this being put on the spot. But definitely I'm on that path now with the podcast and just making long last friendships and relationships. Yeah. And I feel that outside of judging myself and self-love and actually accepting who I am and going out there and presenting that as what I have and that's what I have to offer. You don't like it, then you don't like it. So yeah, there's a power in that. So this will allow my 15-year-old self realize is all along, the only things that held me back were other people's opinions, the judgments, the labels, and anything else that came along with that. But if I eliminated all of that and I made the decision that no one else and their opinions mattered, you know, obviously there's things that you want to utilize like from your parents, but ultimately, if you were to only learn and grow and follow the path of your dreams it would really lead you to where you're supposed to be so that's what i would tell my 15 year old self that's awesome and i she hears it the 15 year old in you hears it (laughs) and if i may add one more of course i would say to trust yourself 
I think this is outside of just my experience in bullying. I had a very hard time growing and trusting myself. I trusted what other people told me to do. I trusted everything around me, but I didn't trust me. And so as I moved to California, I am learning how to trust myself more, how to trust my journey and everything that I'm doing. And I'm able to become more creative. I'm able to learn more and grow. And it's just been an amazing, amazing experience. Before we wrap up the episode, I know there was one last thing that you wanted to say. Yes. So to all of the listeners out there, I have a challenge for you. That challenge is to spend a day, a week, whatever time you want to choose in the shoes of those that you are unfamiliar with. So for example, for my ladies step into the shoes of a Muslim woman, wear a hijab for a day, spend a day out with a hijabi, ask her questions, get to know her, spend some quality time with that person, or visit a temple or a mosque or a church for anything that you're not familiar with. Take that opportunity to step outside of where you are today and be uncomfortable and meet new people, get to know them, get to know their story, and just be human sending so much love and if anyone has any additional questions you can reach fatima on so there's a couple platforms you can reach me on you can go on my website www.fatimamoman.com that's f-a-t-i-m-a-m-o-u-m-e-n.com and on there you could connect with me you can also read my blogs or you can follow me on instagram and that is fatima moment official Well, I appreciate you coming out and talking and getting vulnerable with us. Thank you. This was amazing. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening till the end. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share with your friends and subscribe so you can keep listening each week. Let me know your thoughts on what you heard this past hour by leaving a review, or you can contact me on claimingyourtruth.com or message me on Instagram at Franny Nicole on the go. I look forward to hearing what you all have to say. Thank you for being here, and I can't wait to share the next episode with you.